0: blog talk radio hi there welcome to teach me to talk the podcast I'm Laura Mize pediatric speech language pathologist and welcome to the show today Let's get started with a few announcements. First of all, I am in the throes of enjoying college basketball. And if you have listened to this show for any length of time, you have to know how excited I am about my UK Wildcats. Woo! So excited. So wanted to get that in there. Uh, someone emailed me yesterday and asked, am I following college basketball this year? Ha, 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 ha. So anyway, wanted to put that out there. Secondly, if you have not taken a look at the therapy tip of the week, uh, videos that I've pulled out from the vault, meaning ones that I've had in previous years. got some cute ones uh, for Easter with some really easy ideas. And sometimes some of you will say, I don't know if I really want to do holiday activities. And I say to you, you are missing a fantastic opportunity because that's a great way to spice up your therapy sessions, to do something novel, to do something new, to do something with a child's Maybe their poor worn out mama won't get to do until perhaps Easter afternoon if even then. So, so take a look at some of these things. And even if you're living in a state that they don't really want you to take any new materials or toys or all that, blah, 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 you can certainly talk with parents about, what they might already have or what they might pick up in this next couple of weeks. And Easter eggs are cheap, like, you know, what, a couple bucks, $5. And you can just have so much fun introducing um, new language or even, even just working on the same kind of things that you've been working on, understanding and using words but with a fun set of of new materials which are really, really enticing for kids. And again, don't discount the power of novelty with any child, but certainly with a toddler and, and helping them maintain attention to you. So if your sessions have gotten a little stale over the last, you know, few lingering weeks of winter, break out some easter eggs do some spring activities and have fun with that now let me just say for those of you who are thinking i can't use easter eggs with every kid because culturally it may not it may be offensive to someone who's not celebrating easter and let me just let me just say to that you know best what you can do with families on your coast i'm not even pretending to know all of the nuances of the relationships that you have with the families that you serve however let me just share this quick story years and years ago I was working with a family and this was again back when everybody took toys in so I was taking toys into a family's home and I had some easter eggs there in my bag and (laughs) I was working with a set of twins and they were from India and so the mom they pull out the easter eggs and I knew that the mom really was excuse me practicing her a not, you know, not Christian, and so I kind of was a little bit apologetic and sort of trying to scoop the Easter eggs up. And she said, "What are you doing?" And I said, "I'm, we we just won't play with these. That's okay." Without really kind of addressing it head on, I'm not going to be apologetic or anything if she's not upset. But I sort of felt like, oh, let me just do this because I don't want to be offensive to this mom. And she said, "Those are plastic eggs. Why in the world would I be offended about that? Look at them. They love them." They they think they're boss. They are excited that they'll open and toys are inside. You know, do not put those away. And I just thought, what a great lesson for me <laughs> because I automatically assumed that this would not be something that the mom would want to do when nothing could have been further from the truth. So don't be as um, scared to use something that you know will be fun for a kid, but I'm certainly not telling you not to take into account cultural differences and sensitivities and things like that. Use your own judgment, see what happens. I just wanted to share that story for those of you who may be a little tentative about that. Um, I was the same way, and it worked out beautifully, and I wanted to be sure to pass that along. Okay, today's topic is one that I don't think we've ever, ever, ever talked about on this show since its inception in 2008, which is kind of weird <laughs> for those of you who have been listening for a long time, because I feel like I talk about the, you know, the, a variety of topics, but we kind of revisit from time to time. But this one is completely new, but it's not a situation that will be completely new to you if you are a speech-language pathologist or another type of early intervention professional, because it's something we deal with pretty frequently, and that would be when one of our little friends, a child on our caseload becomes the big brother or sister, and so the introduction of a new sibling in most families where the kids are pretty closely spaced can be a source of trauma or at least uh, uneasiness for lots of families and this may be something that catches a mom completely off guard and she may know about sibling rivalry because she certainly may have experienced that whether she's the oldest child or the youngest child in her family she certainly may have heard about it from other people and some moms just think it's par for the course when you have two babies kind of within three years it's not all going to be sunshine and roses (laughs) But some moms really become pretty disenchanted and disillusioned when they realize just how much of a daily um interference this can be. They just didn't think they just thought that their sweet little two year old who has been their baby in the center of their world would be equally excited about welcoming another new baby into the home. And frankly, nothing could be further from the truth. <laughs> and this is not to make any new mom who may be listening to this, you may have found this show, and this may be your your very first time to hear this show or think about this kind of thing or out there kind of looking for answers. And let me just say, we're going to talk about this situation today from the perspective of handling it for a late talker, because that's who I am. That's what I do. I'm a speech-language pathologist and work with families and toddlers who are having difficulty learning how to use language and understand words and talk and all of those things. So again, if this is your first time listening to the show, you may be a little bit taken back at my tone. And for that, I apologize. But if, if you're a long time listener, you certainly know kind of how I would talk about this in our everyday natural, oh my goodness, we thought this was going to be a good idea, having a new baby, what have we done kind of way, and let me just say too, I have some personal experience with this, our boys who are now 25 and 23, and for those of you who are friends of mine in Louisville, you're probably, you know, as shocked as I am that my children have grown up if you saw me wag them around for years and years and years, they're big now, and let me just say, sibling rivalry doesn't even go away, does it? Oh, that's a whole nother show, but back to the topic. I experienced this too, and I did everything I could to prepare our older son. He was two years, four months when our second son was born, and it can still be, even though you you know that this could happen, you anticipate it a little bit, you think your older child is ab- going to be absolutely fine with this, but it's still a little surprising when things happen. So I've lived this, and more importantly, I've seen this kind of issue happen over and over and over and over and over over again in my 20-plus year career. So let's just talk about it. I'm going to introduce a question that a mom sent to me a couple weeks ago, which is what really um, made me want to do this show because I thought, gosh, I don't think we've ever talked about it, and it is such a common situation, and again, first, we're going to talk about it from the perspective of the advice that we give this mom as a speech-language pathologist and as and, and to address the communication issues, but then we're going to take a step back and look at it from a parenting perspective in general, because I think that approach and those kinds of strategies are even more important to share with families and can make even a bigger deal. So let me just start with this letter. I'm not going to share this mom's name, but she says, I hope you can help me. We bought your DVD for our toddler who will be three in April. Before our second daughter was born in August, she would name everything that we pointed to. She would tell us the color of things, animal sounds, et cetera. Since the new baby, she refuses to answer these questions. We know she knows them because she'll be in the room alone and say, what's this? A horse? Nay. And occasionally she will answer them for us, but now hardly ever. She also prefers now to say thirsty instead of I am thirsty, which she can say. And you can just Hear this mom's frustration, and she capitalized "can," like she wanted me to know this is not something I'm imagining. I've heard this child say this before. I know she can do it. She said the same thing for "I want" phrases. She prefers to say "muffins" instead of "I want muffins," but she occasionally will say the whole thing. When we ask her to say it, she gets upset. A while ago, she would scream, "Thirsty!" Ah! and we would try to get her not to scream. She stopped saying it then altogether, so we're trying to avoid that again. Can you help us? Mm. She goes on to say our insurance does not cover speech therapy, and the person who came to us with early intervention didn't believe she could speak at all. We're just trying to repeat what we want her to say, but give her what she wants, but we are getting nowhere. It's the same thing with labeling questions. We followed your DVD, and she uh, follows everything perfectly. It's just these other things. Thanks so much for your time. Let me just say the DVD that she's talking about, I believe she's, and I didn't go back and check this, but I believe she's meaning my first DVD, Teach Me to Talk, which is an over, um, it, it's, it's the one that I recommend that parents start with because it's such a good reminder for parents with how speech language develops. And let me just say, reminder for parents, a lot of times moms and dads really have no inkling with how communication skills develop, nor should they. They just assume that with children, as we all anticipate our kids to be, that they'll be typically developing, that they'll just learn to understand and use words and move on. And we never anticipate as parents that we'll have a child with developmental delays. And so we never give that learning how to walk and talk and and those kinds of things. We think about it. We await those first words. We look for those first steps. But we never really anticipate that our children will have difficulty. And so again, nor should we. And so again, when a, when I'm saying a reminder, a refresher for development, a lot of times you're the you're the first person to explain as a therapist how this has happened, how this whole process develops in the first place, because parents haven't given it much thought until something goes wrong. So we have to be aware of that and we have to always make sure that we are explaining how children come to use language and that it really starts with making connections in their environment and understanding what words mean and on and on and on and, you know, all the things that we know to say and the things that we do and that initial process of helping educate parents about communication development sequences. And so it's, she's gotten Teach Me to Talk to D V D and has looked at that and has said, Yeah, 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 she can do all that <laughs> But she still can't talk or won't talk and this mom and again is saying we heard her do all these things. We feel like she knows these things. We she was actually doing these things better before our new baby was born. Now it, it seems like mom has made the connection with that this is because of the new baby but a lot of times parents don't make that connection and you'll have to help them kind of navigate this gently and again in a way that doesn't provoke guilt or induce any kind of feeling of what have I done let me just say moms can do that on their own they don't really need you to point that out to them all right (laughs) And as we well-meaning therapists try to do sometimes, we, you know, want to beat the dead horse here. And so I would never say anything like, you know, that's what you get when you have babies too close together. Because, goodness, you know, that would be the pot calling the kettle black for me because I also had back-to-back babies. And, again, it was as much as a surprise to me. as it was to anybody else so i'm not saying giving any of this advice or pinpointing the whole the real issue here in addition to the late talking as a new baby in an attempt to make mom feel badly about her choice at all you know that is nowhere in my realm here because you can't do anything about it you know the baby is already there you're not giving it back So be careful with that as a therapist when you're pointing out that some of this seems to really be related to uh, the arrival of a new sibling. And again, not to make mom feel anything about that happening because we do not want to induce guilt at all. That is nowhere, nowhere in this discussion. So let's talk about the advice that I gave to her first to target her specific concerns related to communication and late talking. And then, again, we're going to kind of move on to this parenting stuff in general. First of all, let me just say that we always, when a mom, anytime a mom emails me or contacts me in some way through Teach Me To Talk and the podcast or any, any kind of form that I'm in and says, I can't get speech therapy because my insurance doesn't cover it, you can't really stop there and say, "Oh, too bad." Or I will. Ne- let me just say too. I'll never recommend that a mom go it alone, because I'm a speech language pathologist, and I really believe in therapy, and I believe in early intervention, and I believe that parents are going to do a better job if they have a, of addressing this, if they have professional advice, and so encouraging a parent who's coming with you with something, well, we can't afford therapy, insurance won't cover it, Can't, don't have access to services, no, 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 no. No matter what advice we give them, we need to start with, I still think you need speech therapy, and I still think you need to pursue that. Let me give you some different options here. Let me give you some ideas. And, again, your job as, as a therapist really isn't to make that happen. Your job isn't really to... Be the caseworker or service coordinator, whatever you call it in your state. But we do have an ethical responsibility, I believe, to be able to share with parents that that we know that early intervention works, and we know that children have better outcomes the earlier that they start therapy, and the more consistent it is, and the more consistent advice that parents get, and, and so that they can help their own child at home. And and to to not address that, and to not say, well let me encourage you to go ahead and follow up with therapy however that has to happen however that has to look for you whatever you have to do to make that happen let's just kind of talk through this process so that we leave no stone unturned here and again if if part of that is Let me refer you back to your service coordinator so that you can get some additional options so that your child gets services and so that you get the professional advice that you need to really target this situation. And let me just say, too, I get so many opportunities to do that because of teachmetotalk.com and the volume, the sheer volume of messages and email that I get because of the success of that site. But I want you to be aware of that, too, as practicing professionals, when someone asks you a question in a grocery store or on the soccer field or, you know, at church or even, you know, for kids that the mom says, I don't think I'm going to do therapy, you know, for whatever reason, don't automatically go to, well, she's not going to do therapy, there's nothing I can do. Please go ahead and say, let's just talk about all your options here and make sure that you know what I know, and that that's that children do best when they have, and parents do best when they have some professional advice with that. So wanted to uh, be sure that I'm letting you know, as listeners of the show, that I never passed up an opportunity to really. Um, again, share that information with parents that therapy is the way to go here. I also went on to tell her that it's really difficult to judge what's going on with her without seeing her, and certainly, that's a nice reminder for everyone who's listening to the show, we can make all kinds of conjectures, we can come up with solutions, we can say what we think might be going on, but without really seeing a child in black and white, you don't really know. And and this sort of show is to serve as advice. Again, that's the benefit of having someone lay eyes on this child, another speech-language pathologist who can really help this mom and dad know what's going on for sure. So I always start out my responses to parents. In that kind of way. And certainly, I, I want to be sure that we're saying that we never want to take the place of a real life look at what's going on with the kid. But there are some real possibilities here. The first one being that this child is really sensitive to pressure to communicate. And it has become so overwhelming for her that she actually has regressed to use less mature language or she's used phrases and now she's kind of backed up to single words and even screaming because probably the new baby too, but because of the communication pressure that she's feeling. And this is really common for a lot of late talkers with or without a new baby. So adding a new baby into this dynamic has probably intensified This little girl's internal pressure. Now, again, is she able to think about this and say, I'm really mad at my mom and dad for having this new baby, and so I am just going to purposefully not talk to them? Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying at all. She's not able to lay in her little crib or her toddler bed or wherever they have her and plot how she's going to make her life, her mom's life difficult that day. She's not going to say, I'm going to, actually, I'm just going to scream. I'm just going to scream every time they want me to say something. She's not doing that. (laughs) She's not mentally capable of doing that, planning. But she is feeling emotional angst here. She is uncomfortable. She is frustrated. And we know that, again, because of how she's responding. And so, again, even if this mom were emailing me and not telling me about about the new baby, she were just saying, my little girl's screaming. She's using a lot of single words, whereas we know that she can use some phrases. So what should we do? My advice really would be to eliminate the pressure. Now, some of you may be a little bit surprised by that because you're thinking, eliminate the pressure. My goodness, she has to be able to do it. She has to be able to talk. She needs to talk in the most mature form possible. She needs to use her highest level of communicative potential, blah, 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 blah. That's not going to help anything with this little girl. (laughs) She already feels bombarded. She already feels overwhelmed. And, again, we know that from her behavior, from her obvious frustration. So we just need to, first of all, stop that cycle. And, again, we do it with eliminating the pressure. And usually this means that a parent would take a step way back and really diffuse the situation. And I always, when I'm talking with moms about this in person, I try to say, You know, you've got to calm down and you've got to really do everything you can to make yourself not feel as worried and as uh, torn up and nervous about all this because your emotional state, how you feel about this, is really influencing what's happening around you, including, you know, your daughter's picking up on all of this. And again, it's not that she's lying in her crib saying man, my mom is really at edgy all the time and that makes me edgy. She, the little girl's not doing that. Again, she's not capable of that, but she's feeling that pressure and she's responding to that. So the first thing as professionals we can do is help mom really get to a better place about it and say, I love that you're concerned about your child you should be concerned about her. I love that you care about her language. I love that you want to do everything that you can to help her, you know, develop optimally here. But you've got to calm down first because this is not helping you and it's not helping her. And I say those kinds of things. And again, not in a condescending way, not in in a way that, you know, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not really there to do counseling with this mom and, uncover her deepest emotional places, but I am there to really help her see that a lot of this is within her control and the first thing that she can do as far as how she feels. And the first thing that she can do is really kind of calm down and know that this too shall pass and she'll get through this. And that, you know, as I'm able to share, I went through this too with our oldest son. He had some regression when our um, second son was born. And, you know, I I always shared that he was really so uh, on the verge of being completely potty trained. And then all of that kind of reverted. His language didn't revert that much but that's just because of him and because of the environment that he lived in. But we did see certainly regressions with behavior and things. And so to share that with the mom and say, but gosh, he got through it. It it all ended up okay. Helps the mom feel better. And so you want to kind of share that this is pretty natural. And again, with or without the new baby. And if, if that's not the situation, you're just focusing on the occasion part of it. A lot of kids. When they are, when they know on some level that this talking thing is really, really hard for them, they do exhibit this frustration with screaming, or it could even be some physical stuff because they know on some level that they can't make you understand what they want and it's upsetting, just as it would be to you. So you have to really get parents to take a step back and really talk to them about eliminating the pressure. One thing that I talk about too is to stop asking questions because that's what really puts a child on the spot that confrontational you tell me this right now (sighs) approach is not helping anything so I I talk to parents about that I'll say let's take a vacation from asking questions all together you're just going to want to talk about what's going on with her with what she's seeing what she's paying attention to you know you want to keep everything about the here and now So if she's looking at a ball, you're talking about the ball. If she's playing with the blocks, you're talking about the blocks. If she's playing with a baby doll, you're talking about the baby doll. And you just do lots and lots of commenting and still asking no questions at all. You're just going to happily talk and label and play and read and draw and do all of those things that you would do as you were teaching her without any expectation that you're going to ask her a question and she's going to answer it. Now, if you do slip up and ask a question, just answer it yourself. You know, if you find yourself saying, oh, look, what's this? Immediately say, you know, it's a choo-choo train. Look, choo-choo. Woo-woo. Or if you're saying, what? or Woo-woo, whatever you're going to do there. And that kind of takes the pressure off moms too, because sometimes as you are introducing this strategy or you're you're coaching mom through this strategy, she's going to realize, oh my goodness, I did it. I've asked her three questions in a row, and I didn't even realize that I I questioned her this much. And it's really eye opening for mom too, because a lot of times, again, we just talk to our kids, we don't even realize how we sound or what we're saying or anything like that until someone's told us to change it a little bit, and then we become a little more introspective and we notice what we're doing that we that we didn't even maybe realize that we're doing. So just tell a mom, you know, don't worry if you do it. Don't worry if you don't say, oh, no, I didn't mean to ask you that. Just answer the question and make it pretty conversational and just continue to talk and do all of those things that you would normally do. Label, um, comment, all of that nice teaching that we do with our children all day long where we're just talking about what they're talking about or what they're paying attention to. And again, you have to really give that advice to parents too. Sometimes we'll just say, talk to your child all day, and we realize you know, mom is making lunch, and instead of talking about what what food she's fixing and what the child wants to eat and what they're having that day and the dishes and all those things, she's talking about something that happened yesterday or something that will happen tomorrow. Those kinds of – children don't have that kind of memory yet. They don't – they can't really – Remember, now at two, she's got, an or almost three, she's able to do this much more so than an 18-month-old. But the average short-term memory or memory of an 18-month-old really is about a day. And so you really can't talk about things that happened two or three weeks ago or certainly something upcoming in the future because they don't have the capability of understanding that. So do lots of talking to moms about keeping things in the moment and again there's no better way to keep things in the moment than to talk about what your child is paying attention to not what you're thinking about not what you want the child to think about because again they can't really do that but what's really really happening and what the child is paying attention to right then and there um The other piece of advice that I gave her is that when the child does use a phrase to really act excited about that and reinforce the use of that big girl language without saying, I wish you talked like this all the time. So you can say, I want a muffin. You can say, I want a cookie. You can say, don't do all of that, that talking about talking. Again, kids can't understand that yet, really, even though we might give some feedback with that. But just saying, oh, I love it when you say, I want your muffin. That's so good. You're talking like such a big girl. That's completely different than doing it from a negative connotation where you're um, trying to induce guilt for the two-year-old. And, again, that doesn't work either. (laughs) So just praising her and saying you love the way she talks and you love it when you understand what she wants and you love how nice she sounds or sweet she sounds or whatever word that you're using to contrast how she sounds when she screams i also said to give no attention to the screaming do give her what she wants because you don't want her to have to resort to anything else so that if she's screaming thirsty give her a drink don't do things like I'm not going to give you the drink until you say it in a nice way or walk out of the room and say something like I can't hear you when you talk like that. You know, those are things that all of us want to do as parents because we are so concerned that we are raising uh, (laughs) spoiled children or bratty children or whatever. But let me just say for a late talker, we really don't want to – in any kind of way, discourage communication. And so, when we say things, when when we give parents advice like, just don't give it to her until she can say it or until she says it, that that's not useful. That that bec- that sets up a two-year-old to be even more frustrated. So you always want to meet their needs. You always, always, always want to do that, especially when we're talking about something physical like eating and drinking. So if she's screaming thirsty. Chances are she really needs a drink. <laughs> and so again, to be able to for a parent to be able to um, know that they're, it's okay to go ahead and, and give them the drink, certainly, and not continue to overly frustrate their child. That they're especially for late talkers, because we know that talking is hard for her, or she would be doing more of it. We know that there's a developmental delay there because she's not talking in short sentences all the time, and she should be because she's about to be three. We know that those three- and four-word phrases and sentences should be should be how she's communicating most of the day, and she's certainly not. So we know that there's that frustration piece built in there, and we know that there's that late-talking component built in there. So we really shouldn't um, do anything to add to that. So we we really should encourage mom and dad to meet her needs and not to do all of that withholding because it's not the right context for that. When we withhold or sabotage, it should always be in a really fun, playful kind of way. So when a kid is screaming and kicking and you know laid out on the kitchen floor, she's not really going to learn anything by withholding. And so, and by that, I mean mom and dad not giving her the water until she says it in a nice way or says it in a sentence or whatever. That's that's not helpful at all. The child is out of control. And, again, emotionally and mentally, she can't make that jump right at that one minute. So you've got to help parents really, really understand that and make them understand that the time to use withholding and sabotage and all of those other creative things that we introduce as speech pathologists really should be in the context of play and fun and not in that – I want it now kind of mentality where the child is at that moment. Their best to just meet her need, not to give a lot of attention to the screaming, walk away, do whatever you have to do after you've given her what she needs so that she doesn't double down on that screaming and make it even harder to eliminate. And I also tell parents, don't try to talk about it or scold it or beg it out of them. Just ignore it. And all of the language teaching that you're doing in utter context, when she can do it all the time, and when she's more comfortable talking in phrases, she will. She will. So we've got to get her to that point instead of thinking that you're going to have the beat down <laughs> power struggle. Kids do not learn how to talk in that context. They really, really don't. So remain neutral and unemotional as you would still give her what she wants, but with no extra attention to the screaming or the other Behaviors that you want to extinguish. So that's to address the communication pressure there. And really, again, to summarize, it's just to back off a little bit, not make it a life or death thing if she talks or doesn't talk or uses a sentence or doesn't use a sentence. Eliminate all those questions, do lots of commenting and just talking and teaching. And I, this is what I call it parents. I say, you know, we really want to. We want to focus on teaching, not testing. Because when you're asking a child, what color is this? What's this? What's the car state? You're testing. You're asking question after question after question. And our job really is to teach. And so to help her know these words and learn these words and understand these words. And, yes, use and master these words. But we really, 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 in children in situations like this, have to really take that pressure off first and back off a little bit. Let's move on and talk about the parenting piece of this, because even though I'm not a psychologist, I think that's the bigger picture here. And I think if we can address these issues, and and you know what I always say, meet that little girl where she is, that a lot of this other stuff may fade away and may not be as important. And so we really have to talk to parents about this. And, again, as a speech pathologist, you may feel like this is a little bit beyond your scope of practice. But once we understand toddlers and the dynamics and once we know about typical language development and atypical development or development of this child as a whole, we can be comfortable in giving this kind of advice, and certainly if you're not a mom yet, you're thinking, oh, I don't have any personal stories to share. I haven't seen that many kids. I don't really know that I should be talking with her about this. Let me just say, passing along advice that you know, passing along strategies that have been successful for other people, That that's that's. The bulk of your job. So this certainly would be with um, something you can feel secure about and something that you can feel comfortable in sharing with parents. Again, you're always going to start with it is a very natural response, especially for children under three, to be at least a little up or bothered by the introduction of a new sibling. And, again, it's more common than it's not. You will occasionally find children who are okay with that and they seem to love and dote on the new baby. But, guys, that really is kind of the exception rather than the rule. So moms should never feel guilty about it. It's, it's just something that is and so something that we need to address. Again, I always talk to moms and dads about not overestimating the capabilities of a two-year-old and that they know that they should be loving and welcome this new member of your family, you know, and that jealousy is wrong. (laughs) They should never think that a two-year-old can understand that. Now, let me just say, physical aggression, if your older child is trying to hurt the new baby, you have got to put a stop to that immediately. You can never allow that. So if you have hitting, biting, throwing, any kind of thing where your new baby's at harm, you've got to get the new baby out of the way. You can't leave a two year old who's who's upset about the arrival of this new little person, who's jealous that, you know, his or her mom has been taken away from them. You gotta not leave the new baby in that situation. So you do have to be careful about that. Even well meaning two year olds will try to maybe help mom sometimes when the very first day that I was all by myself with a two-year-old and a newborn. After all the help had left and everybody had, you know, gone back to work and everybody was resuming their life, I remember uh, returning from the bathroom and hearing our, you know, week old baby shriek. And, you know, trying to run as best I could after a C-section into the room and our two-year-old was trying to stuff him in the swing, head first. And so you can't, even a two-year-old that you think is pretty well developed, you can't leave them alone with a new baby. It is not safe, even for, you know, a couple minutes. So I learned that lesson on my very first day as, as mother of two all by myself. So be sure that you're talking with parents about that. And again, it's not to lecture the two-year-old to say, "Don't hit your brother." Don't you know? Don't do anything to the baby while mommy's out of the room. That pretty much ensures that something will happen. <laughs> it's it's taking the new baby completely away so that there's no access there. And I did just want to mention that safety feature first. Uh, the only real cure for this is helping that older baby the two year old that I'm talking about feel really, really adored and really special. And the the best way to do that is one on one time with mom or dad without the baby. And that's really, really hard to do, but it's I have seen the strategy work miracles. I have seen parents Try some other things, and then when they really prioritized, I'm going to spend this extra one-on-one time. I'm going to make every not every minute that the new baby is sleeping, but I'm going to take some time every day. And usually, it's when the new baby is taking either that morning nap or afternoon nap. Even if the baby's a little older, you know, especially after if the baby had already started to move a little bit and is awake more. When you put the baby down, when your older child is awake. You've got to make that about the older child, so that you are doing something really, really special, one on one together. It could, for some moms, that's reading and cuddling. For some moms, it's um, you know really rambunctious play because they don't get to do that all the time. Sometimes it's just that one on one play with whatever the kid has going on in the toy box. It's really. Too tempting when the new baby sleeps for the mom to want to take a nap and for her to want to get the older baby down too. I get that because the mom needs her older time, her her alone time. But if the priority truly is making the whole family dynamic better and making her, you know, getting through this communication detour for that her older child has taken. She really needs to carve out time to do this. And that extra one-on-one time is huge. It's huge. And let me just say, too, we're talking about it from an emotional standpoint right now, but just the language uh, intervention that she's going to get by playing with her mom during this one-on-one time. And, again, remember, mom's not asking any questions. She's not doing that testing kind of stuff that all parents want to do, especially with a late talker. It's just to be together. But the language benefit of that alone is going to be so um, beneficial. I've already said the word benefit, but it's going to be so positive that you could really just from 20 or 30 minutes a day like that, I think moms will start to see a real difference. So be sure that you're mentioning that too. Is it hard for a lot of moms to accomplish? Absolutely. But, again, when a mom is taking the time to have her child enrolled in therapy and to talk with you about it, it's important to her. So, don't hesitate to offer these kinds of strategies and suggestions thinking, that, well, she's not going to have time for that. She's not going to be able to do that. That's unrealistic. Let mom make that choice. Let mom decide. But you tell her how important one-on-one time is so that she can make the older child feel adored and loved and cared for and important. You know, that's that time where the child feels like, yes, I have not lost my mom here. My mom is still here for me. So you have to be sure that you're thinking about that and making that advice or or making that happen by giving that advice. Another thing that I talk about a lot is helping moms learn not to gush over the new baby or dote all over the new baby all of the time in front of the two-year-old because when you have a two-year-old who is already upset about this, you're just really making her feel worse. And sometimes moms will kind of balk about that and say, I want her to love her sister. I want her to know that I love her sister. I want her to know that she can't have me alter herself. This is not the time for that great big life lesson. There's plenty of time to make sure that your older child develops into a happy, adjusted, loving, big sister. And you've got the whole rest of her life to do that, but now is not the time for that. You've got to really help her feel secure. In her little position in your family and especially you as the mom, the person who she loves the most, and she still wants to feel like she's completely loved. So not talking about the new baby, especially, you know, going on and on and on about the new baby or lots of, you know, love and hugs and attention to the new baby while the child is in the room. And you'll have to just talk moms through that because sometimes moms will feel weird about that and say, "I don't want to withhold the affection from the new baby. And I'm not saying that at all, boy, you know we don't even want to go there, but just while your older child is paying attention, don't do that as often. Let me just say too, as a person who's going into a home or if someone's coming to see has come to see me in my office and they're bringing." the new baby on, you know, these first couple of visits after the baby's been born, a lot of times I don't even look at the baby. I don't talk about the baby. I don't ask about the baby. I don't talk to the child about the baby. I completely ignore the baby because I want the two-year-old to still feel like this is my special friend. This is still all about me. I'm the most important person in, in this world right now. And you'll have to talk to moms about that, you know, usually at the end of a pregnancy or the time or two, you know, that we're talking right after the baby's been born and we're sort of touching base about the next appointment. I'll tell them, look, I'm not going to pay attention to your new baby. I want to see your new baby. I love that you've grown your family. This is so exciting. But I want your child to still feel like I am all about him. So don't be offended when I'm not asking to hold the new baby Or Love on the new baby, as I so want to do. I still want your older child to think this is all about him or her. And a lot of times I feel like that alone, that kind of shift, and if you can talk to grandparents about doing that some, you know, now, of course, a grandmother's not going to completely ignore the brand-new grandchild she has for the sake of the two-year-old. But if if grandmoms and um, granddads can really take time to just make it about the older child, take them out on some outings, you know, they get to spend the night at uh, Nana's house and, you know, the new baby doesn't get to do that. All of that extra big girl time or big boy time where the new baby doesn't get to do it and where it's not all about the new baby will really, really, really pay off. And again, this is not something you're going to do forever. You're just going to do it in these few weeks or And may even last a few months where you have to help the child get over the rough spot. And the good news is once the child feels loved and, again, adored and secure and happy and comfortable again, All of this stuff will go away and you'll be, well, sibling rivalry probably won't ever completely go away, but the the explosion of these feelings will get better and will subside. But these are the strategies that you would use when you realize that this has become problematic. Um, The one-on-one time is huge, again, with parents or with another family member And try to do it every day. And, again, the more of that that you can do away from the house, the better it is. But you never want the older kid to feel shunned, like, you know, I'm sending you away because I have to be here in our home with my new baby and not you. You don't want them to feel like that, but you do want them to feel like it's special and they get to do things that the new baby doesn't do. That's another thing that I'll say is, you know, point out things that – the older child gets to do or can do because he or she's a big boy or a big girl that the baby doesn't get to do and I say things like oh you get to go get ice cream with daddy and this baby can't do that she can't do that she's not big like you she's so little she has to stay home but you get to go get ice cream and those kinds of things again make the older child feel really really special and it doesn't work for every kid now some. Some two-year-olds won't be able to really understand that. But if a child does get it, like it seems like the girl, the little girl that, that mom wrote me about, if that strategy works, do it endlessly. And by that, I mean every day point out things like this for the next several weeks, couple of months until these kinds of strategies, you know, she's more comfortable and she doesn't seem to need all of that anymore. I've seen this stuff work time and time and time again. (laughs) The only reservation that some parents have, too, is that they are somehow spoiling their child or setting their child up to not love the baby ever. I have never seen that happen again. Although I have said several times, sibling rivalry may never go away. (laughs) For some kids and some families, and that's okay, too. But you certainly want to get over the hump. And you have to know that a child who's having difficulty learning how to communicate, there are just some special circumstances that kind of go along with that. So we want to reduce the communicative pressure, and we want to do everything we can to still make the older child feel better and feel um, special and important especially, you know, when they're going through this transition period because it's, it's not all about them anymore. And don't feel like that you're never going to get to the point that your older child won't love your new baby. That will happen. That will happen. They'll be good playmates. You know, they'll have the same, as they get older, the same set of friends in your neighborhood. And, you know, as they go through middle school and high school, Many, many siblings had very, very close relationships. I've kind of joked about our boys, you know, with that little lingering sibling rivalry. But, you know, the truth is they had very, very, very um, happy, 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 especially high school years where they had the same friends. Some were a little older, some were a little younger, and they're still doing that even in college and young adulthood. So don't let my jokes about that make you feel like, oh, this is gonna happen forever because it's really, really not. So my last piece of advice to this mom was, again, if you're not seeing progress with these strategies in the next, say, four to six to eight weeks, call early intervention back and have them take a second look. Because we would never want to dismiss uh communication problems or attribute a regression solely to a new baby when it really could be something else. And remember what I said at the beginning of the show, without laying eyes on this little girl, we really don't know what's going on. And sometimes even when we're seeing a little girl, we may think it might be about the new baby, but unless we really delve deeper, you know, there could be um, more going on than uh, the little setback because of the new baby. And certainly in this case, this little girl is delayed has delayed communication skills anyway because she's not meeting her milestones, so we know that. So my last piece of advice to her, to this mom, was to get a second look from early intervention and, again, access whatever services she could so that the mom has better information and better strategies that are truly individualized for their particular situation that um you you really can't see and can't know until you're spending time with that family and getting to know exactly what's going on. I hope the show is giving you some new ideas as a therapist, some information to be able to share with parents, especially if you're a new therapist and you're not a mom yet and you haven't lived through having your first baby and then your second baby and all of the things that can happen or if you haven't seen that very much or maybe you're you know a little more seasoned in your career but you've just kind of forgotten about all that (laughs) the place where that mom feels like you know this will never end with you know parenting two babies they all grow up eventually and again this too shall pass is advice that all of us need uh, from one time to another but i hope these strategies have helped a good book that I it's kind of an older book, but a book that first introduced me to these strategies uh is by Burton White, who's a pediatrician who is the author of the new first three years of life. And again, it was revised in the nineties. So it's an older book now. But as I was thinking about this, I pulled that back out yesterday and thought, gosh, this advice still rings true. Um so I wanted to mention that as a resource if you were looking for other information. All right, that's it for today's show. Thanks so much. Have a great week. And don't let me forget to say, Go UK! Go care. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.